The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Happy Friday, everybody. It's Payrolls Day as well. You're watching Squawkbox with Juliana Tattlebaum and myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your Squawkbox headlines. Samsung shares fall after the smartphone maker warns second quarter profit likely halved as a slide in chip shipments to Huawei drags on the company. Tensions escalate between Tehran and the West after the UK seizes an Iranian oil tanker over suspected Syrian sanctions violations. Asian markets hold near two-month highs and global bond yields remain near record lows ahead of non-farm payrolls data that could influence investor expectations for a Fed rate cut. U.S. markets reopen today after July 4th celebrations across America with none bigger or more controversial than President Trump's military parade in the Capitol. Welcome to Squawk Box this morning. U.S. markets closed yesterday for Independence Day celebration. So Asian markets don't have much of a read to go off of uh, in trading in this in the latest session. A fairly mixed picture coming together, uh, as you can see here beside me. Shanghai Composite down about 0.18%. The Hang Seng performing a little bit better. Japan, uh, perhaps the more most interesting market this session, up uh, uh, just about three basis points. I say it's interesting because we had those Samsung uh, update come out overnight. We also had some fresh data. Household spending in Japan rose at the fastest pace in four years in May and a sign of improving domestic demand. So uh, offering a little bit of support for the equity space uh, in the latest session, but no major moves here uh, in, in terms of the Asian market. Of, of course, uh, as I said, U.S. markets closed yesterday, so not a huge amount to go off of. Let's take a look at European markets uh, and see how we're looking to open today. A slightly more a subdued picture coming together this morning. All four of the major regions here looking at a slightly weaker open. Yesterday, though, marked the sixth straight day of gains for the stock 600. So it has been a very uh, a very solid run for European stocks. Yesterday, more outperformance from Italy on the back of the European Commission's decision not to proceed with disciplinary action against Rome. So that news continues to buoy sentiment in Italy. This morning, though, it looks as though we're in for a slight pull back uh, down about six points for the FTSE MIB at the open. Steve? Quick question for you. I've spent, as of next month, 31 years looking at non-farm payrolls on Fridays in my professional capacity in one way or other. 31 years. And I'm going to say something I think sacrilege. Does it matter this time around? Because I think historically it's been a stunningly important figure, the mother of all figures. But does it matter this time around, given the expectations already for rate cuts? Your point being that this isn't either way, this isn't going to change the Fed's trajectory. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Well, given the emphasis that the Fed has put on global uncertainty and the external pressures that are facing the U.S. economy, uh, it, it, it does seem like it's less important perhaps than in the past. But of course, they still are cognizant of the data, so you can't completely dismiss yeah, it. Yeah, but you know how this works. If, it, if it's data that suits, people say, 
look at the data. If it's data that doesn't suit, such as payroll go, it's backward looking. I've heard that too many times. David Zane will join us from Franklin Templeton in a few moments' time. Uh, he may have an answer for us. Right, here's another question as well. Uh, Samsung shares are trading lower after the South Korean phone maker uh, and chip company as well, of course, uh, warned second quarter operating profit to likely drop 56%. Uh, the company still beat estimates, however, thanks to one-off gains in its display division. Analysts blame the decline on a fall in memory chip shipments to Huawei, which weighed on semiconductor prices. So my question for you, Sherry, and great to see you back inside after your amazing coverage, of course, of the demonstrations uh, over the last week or so as well. Is this about the, the big headline Huawei or actually is it about something bigger that's going on in the semiconductor sector? Good morning to you. Good morning, Steve. Yes, I mean, Huawei technology seems to be a very much of a main character in telling Samsung Electronics Q2 earnings guidance story uh, this morning. But of course, uh, the bigger story, if you really stretch it, it's really about the supply glut in the semiconductor industry that's not really going away. And uh, I wonder how much of uh, Huawei effect was there or was it already, uh, you know, you know, worsening or not getting better enough, fast enough for this market? So as you can see, uh, some disappointment coming through uh, for Samsung Electronics shares are down more than a percent. In fact, if you take a look at some of the suppliers and it's a chip making peer, SK Hynix, in South Korea, it's all showing a lot of negativity uh, this morning. Uh, it was a beat, as you pointed out, but uh, you know, Samsung Electronics very much um, rarely for Samsung, I would say, elaborating this guidance, saying it was actually a one-off gains in the display business. So uh, perhaps warning that uh, the actual number, if you strip out the one-off gains, is a lot worse than what the market is expecting. And let's not forget, operating profit, it was a beat, but it's still down more than 50% on year. Supply gut is not going anywhere. And in fact, if you take a look at TrendForce's latest uh, uh, report uh, out uh, just a, you know, a few uh, days ago, it was talking about second quarter DRAM average selling prices down more than 20% on year. And in terms of the outlook now, uh, we're going to get the full earnings breakdown late, later this month. What the market would like to hear is perhaps something that we heard from Micron Technology last month, a CapEx cut or a production cut so that they can sort of balance out this uh, supply demand. And, uh, you know, we're going to see if uh, Samsung does the same or if SK Hynix does the same. But when it comes to South Korea-Japan trade dispute, that could be something damaging to it, these companies or this industry's outlook. Remember, Japan uh, coming out with this export curb when it comes to key materials, that's going to be huge uh, in terms of implications for Samsung as well as SK Hynix. The gauge that I'm getting from a lot of analysts is that South Korean companies do not have an alternative source of these two uh, key, key chemicals that we're talking about. Guys, back to you. Sherry, you've covered so much ground. Thank you so much. Just to recap some of the big points that Sherry made, you've got to recap on this, guys. The DRAM glut ain't going anywhere soon. 20% plus prices down. Two trade disputes. This is important, guys out there, yeah? It's not just America versus the world. Japan and South Korea having a trade dispute. And will there be a CapEx response? Thanks, Sherry. Excellent report. Uh, all right. So let's give you an update on the latest developments on the U.S.
U.S.-China trade front. China has threatened to end purchases of American crops if the U.S. keeps changing its stance in trade talks. The comments on a state media blog come after the Chinese Commerce Ministry urged the U.S. to cancel extra tariffs should it want to reach a deal. Eunice has more from Beijing. A Chinese state media blog says that China won't buy more American crops if the U.S. flip-flops on the trade talks. The Taoran Notes blog, which is associated with the Economic Daily and believed to have insights into China's negotiating strategy, posted a commentary today saying if the U.S. flip-flops in the negotiations, the promises to buy American agricultural products will also be overturned. The piece comes after the South China Morning Post quoted sources as saying that China would hold off on buying American soybeans to gauge first how the White House decides to ease restrictions on national champion Huawei Technologies. And after the Commerce Ministry flagged its concerns about how the White House would decide which tech products can be sold and not sold to the Chinese company. We have noticed that President Trump said at a press conference during the G20 summit that the U.S. will allow U.S. companies to sell products to Huawei. We hope that the U.S. can implement this promise and stop the mistake of using national powers to suppress Chinese companies. The two sides are expected to arrange a phone conversation among the top negotiators as early as next week, with the fate of Huawei quickly moving up to the top of the agenda. Eunice Yoon, CBC Business News, Beijing. Now, the latest non-farm payroll figures are due to be announced today ahead of next week's FOMC minutes. Dow Jones estimates 165,000 jobs were added in June, while the unemployment rate is expected to hold steady at 3.6 percent. Average hourly earnings are forecast to rise slightly to 0.3 percent. Let's take a look at where yields stand. It has been a tremendous global rally in the bond space. Now we're looking there at the U.S. 10-year Treasury note yielding 1.946. 6%, so below that 2% mark. Uh, but across the board, across the globe, we have seen uh, really, uh, really remarkable moves in the yields, uh, yield space. Now, let's bring in David Zahn, head of European fixed income at Franklin Templeton Investments. Um, thanks for joining us this morning. Before you arrived on set, Steve made the point that uh, h- how much does this job, ro- job uh, report matter today? How much can it actually change the trajectory of the Fed at this point? And curious, your view. Well, I think we have to look at the job report and know there's one number, and it does get revised quite considerably each month. So I think you have to take it with a grain of salt. If it does, you know, come in very strong, then I think it could create some some problems. But I think the Fed has told us that they are going to be looking to cut rates. However, we think the U.S. economy is quite growing quite well, and domestic consumption is doing very well. The consumer is, you know, deleveraged massively, and so actually is in a very good place. And so from that perspective, I don't think that there needs to be a lot of easing in the U.S. Um, and so we think that they will do that. Sorry, is the Fed making a historic mistake here? Mm. Well, you never know if it's a historic mistake until well in the future. But, yeah, but no, you're paid to tell us. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm paid to tell you. Yeah, okay. you're paid to get, um, tell your investors where to place themselves. Yeah. And, and the market following the, this Fed lead that we're going to see to maybe four cuts by this time next year? I mean, our view is that we probably could see one or two cuts. We don't see them going into a rate-cutting cycle. Um, I think what's more important, besides just the Fed, is what's going on elsewhere in the world, and that in Europe we're seeing that they're going to be cutting rates, And I think, in September, and they'll probably reintroduce QE. Um, and I think that's really one of the main drivers for this big rally that we've seen, more so than what the Fed is doing. So if you think that the Fed is poised to do a couple of cuts but not actually enter a a rate cutting cycle. How much impact can lower rates actually have on the economy if we're just looking at 
one or two cuts, maybe 50 basis points, 75 basis points in total. Well, you have to look at where the bond market is because the bond market's already pricing, you know, has gone to come down significantly. And I think that what's happening globally is there's a search for yield going on. In Europe, as you showed, you know, the boond is at minus 40 basis points, uh, which does seem kind of odd for a 10-year bond. But at any rate, um, I think from that perspective, people are looking for where is their yield, and the U.S. still offers yields. That longer end is going to be well anchored. Um, can you own any of... Let's keep those... Uh, bonds on the screen at the moment. Can you own any of that stuff? I mean, okay, you, in outright yield, you've got the Italian at 1.67, but I mean, it's pathetic compared to the risks associated with the economy. So my question for, can you own European bonds at current levels? Yes, actually, we, we really uh, think European bonds is one of the bright spots in global fixed income. Seriously? And it's, after yes. rally we've had? Yes, even after the rally we've had. And our ones that we like the best are Spain. Spain still has positive yields, which isn't on your chart. Um, and point, Italy, what is it? Point, point 0.2, point 0.25. Um, and and that's, Italian that's not bonds. a point of view. That's a rounding error, isn't it? Well, but you're going out to four decimals now on your yields, which I've never seen before. So I think that's quite interesting yeah, as well. Yeah, not by my design. Okay, all right, fair enough. <laughs> yes, but I, I think from that perspective, there is still, the ECB is going to be cutting. There is going to be further easing. And so you're going to see yield curves flatten in Europe. So we want to be in the long end. You want to be out in the 30 years. You want to be in the 10 years. And really, the short end so doesn't David, offer a lot of value. Who in their right mind want, okay, you get, you get a mighty point two for owning Spain. And you do, let's say you get rate, let's say they go to minus, I don't know, whatever. They keep cutting and they keep chucking more Q in. Why would anyone own that stuff yielding only 0.2 of a percent when inflation is above that? You're, you're losing money on your investment. You are on a real basis. You are getting a negative return. True, but if you look across I can't bond market, anything with a negative yield, I can't go and buy tins of beans with it. I can't go and buy my um, financed Aston Martin with it. Not that I'm buying one. That's for your industry. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it's not. Um, but I think what people are doing in Germany is they want to buy something that they know for sure they will get their money back, and I think that's what's driving these markets. Yes, you pay for that um, privilege, which does it, even to me still seems a bit odd. Uh, but I do think that this is what people are looking for, looking for safety, and they are looking for some income. And so we've seen that people are pushing out not just into this part of the market, but they're looking into more Central Europe. So should you own Polish bonds? Should you own Hungary? Should you own uh, things like uh, Lithuania? And so I think moving out into all these different markets, Norwegian bonds, and so really people are looking for a, a grasp for yield across Europe, and that's why I think that's kind of a global phenomenon at the moment. It's, it sounds, it's really interesting to hear you talk so positively about Europe, and it, it strikes me, it comes at a time when things are relatively Hang calm. On a second. Do you think he's talking about positively about Europe? I wonder if he's talking negatively about Europe because no. the bot you are you I'm talking quite positive about Europe on growth. Growth we think in Europe oh, is fine. On. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang oh, on. This, whoa, this, whoa, this, whoa, this whoa. is bonkers. You're, you're telling people to buy Spanish paper for 10 years at 0.2 of a percent, yeah? Yeah. You're telling me things are good in Europe, but actually growth is good. Yeah, okay. Inflation you, is low. You have to you have to break the two apart. But if growth is good, surely there's a better place to find an investment rather than point two of one percent on Spanish ten-year paper. Not if you think that the ECB is going to continue to ease and is just going to be lo loading liquidity so is into the, ECB the system. ECB making a historic mistake. Again, they are looking after their target of two percent inflation, and you look at where five-year five-year forwards are in Europe at one point one five, I think, or something this morning. This is much lower than it was when they started QE. So if you thought that doing QE the first time was the correct thing to do, then they definitely should be doing. Are you QE sure now. this isn't bonkers? Are you sure when you're going to work every day, you don't have to justify it to yourself what you're saying now? Absolutely not. What we are doing is providing solutions to our clients, and they need fixed income because they need that ballast in their overall portfolio, but, but and they also do need some. To get, I, I, Dave, we're having a, a chat here. I know. Two friends here. But look, 
with a You're encouraging people to buy stuff which is going to lose the money straight away in terms of uh, its real world value on the basis that they just want it back. So why don't keep cash then if they just want it back? If, and you know it's going to lose compared with them. Why would you buy this stuff which has been bid up to them? At least you know when the crash comes, the cash will still be the same level rather than this stuff which has been bid up to God knows what, despite the fact that, as you quite rightly say, growth is okay in Europe. Well, I also, I think the question is, is how low can these bond yields go? And I think that when you start getting this fear factor, you talk about if the crash comes or when the crash comes, and I mean, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But if you do see that, there will be a flight to quality. And I still think that things like booms and treasuries and gilts, they will still be the safe haven where everybody goes into. In the Spanish economy. And Spain's a good one compared to many. Spain's Spain's done a lot, but it hasn't done that much compared to, they, they, they stopped halfway through the electoral reforms. They've got a massive Catalonia problem. They've got a massive problem in terms of no, comp- no uh, party can get a majority as well. They've still got over 8% unemployment despite it coming down aggressively uh, from it. Yeah, it's still got, yeah, but does 8% give you cover coming into uh, the next crisis? I don't know as well. So you've also, got, hang on a second, you've got political, you've got economic, you've got social problems as well. You've got unemployment problems still. With eight nine percent unemployment ain't fixed, uh, and you're telling people to buy Spanish paper at point two. The Spanish economy is the best performing economy in Europe. It's the one so that's actually addressed. Why would you buy it. their paper at point two if it's the best? Because they've actually addressed the pricing fisc- between their bond market and the what fiscal. their interest rate should no, be. No, they've it's addressed the, best the fiscal issues. They've started to bring down the, the budget deficit. Um, debt to GDP is actually peaked. What I think the actual real problem is is France. France has all the same issues that you just not lined France. up. Let's get out the OATs. This is fascinating. And they're negative yielding. And so I guess that is the question is why would you want to do that for a country that you know has all the issues, many of the issues you talked about, runs big budget deficits, has a current account deficit, and its debt to GDP does nothing but go up. I'm just up. worried. Look, here we go. What, 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 what are your two-year OATs? Minus 0.59. Your 10 years, minus uh, 0.13. I mean, we're never... I just want people to... I want us to have this conversation robustly yeah. now for when it all goes wrong in a couple of years' time. People say, why didn't you guys have this conversation? Well, I think it's also a, ti- a, a time horizon issue. Yeah. If you actually are investing for the next 12 to 18 months, I think you can still do very well in European fixed income um, because I think we are going to see that the ECB is going to continue to right. ease and that's what drives it. David, you've been robust in response. I'm going to shut up now. No, Thank serious. you. <laughs> <laughs> Ahead, when we talked about Greece, what's their debt GDP? 180? Let's see what the yield is on that. Uh, Greece is set to hold a snap election with the country's ruling government trailing in opinion polls. Um, But what will uh, Mitsotakis Kyriakos do if he gets in as the head of the uh, New Democracy Party? We'll speak about this uh, after the break. CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Mansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Uh, 
Greek voters heading to the ballot box on Sunday with the opposition New Democracy Party leading in a recent poll on Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras ruling Syriza Party trailing in second. The snap election comes after Syriza suffered a heavy defeat in European parliamentary elections this year. Sylvia, I remember when the enfant terrible, that's a French word, um, two French words, uh, of Europe was people like uh, Mr Tsipras as well. I remember he was going to tear up the rule book. He was going to go to war with the commission. Then he kind of suddenly went into line a little bit. Now the opposition leader, who looks like he's going to become potentially the prime minister, is a man I know very well, Mr Mitsotakis. Uh, and he's a bit more conventional as well. So will the Europeans be whooping with joy if the ND wins? Well... As you mentioned, Tsipras at first had this confrontational tone with the EU and that was one of the reasons why he got elected. People enjoy that uh, back uh, in the day because, as you remember, Greece was in this uh, deep austerity measures. People were tired and so Tsipras was seen as the saviour back then, in, back in 2015, that is. Now it seems like because he put through all the bailout measures, people didn't not, are not associating him um, with that confrontational tone anymore. More. They turn to the mainstream parties. They seem to be turning to the mainstream parties back again. And so Kyriakos Mitsotakis, the leader of the Conservative Party, is expected to win the vote on Sunday. The open question, though, is whether he will manage an outright majority. So we will wait for the vote on Sunday night to find out whether that's the case. If he doesn't get an outright majority, the expectation is that he will form a coalition with a centrist party. And so it's pretty much, according to the analysts that I spoke with, the markets, the expectation is that he will become the next prime minister. But who is Mitsotakis? We had the pleasure to speak with him back in February, and this is what he told us about some of his, pl some of his plans if he becomes prime minister. We should stick to our targets, and if there is fiscal space, we should reduce taxes. It's as simple, uh, as, simple as that. By the way, reducing taxes is also going to improve tax compliance. Uh, in an economy that has sort of a tendency uh, to to um, to move towards uh, uh, tax evasion. Now, Mr. Tsipras has agreed to primary surpluses of three and a half percent until 2022. Uh, I think this is uh, a very uh, a very strict a very strict target. Um, I've said from the beginning that I respect uh, the agreements made by the current government, but I've also told my European partners that should we be able to, to deliver real reforms, we should be rewarded with smaller primary services. Uh, David, I'm, I'm almost loath to say it. What do you think of Greek tenure? <laughs> Well, we don't own any Greek tenure, so that that is one point. Yeah. Um, and it's really because we think the debt to GDP is too high still. A lot of it is held by uh, governmental agencies that still hasn't been dealt with. There's been a lot of extending of maturities, reduction of coupons. Um, and we think that eventually that will have to be dealt with. We don't know how that will be dealt with. I think one of the reasons why we're seeing that Greek bonds have done so well is that the free float in the market is actually relatively small. And so it doesn't take that many people actually um, buying to actually drive those yields down. But we would stay away from Greece at the moment. Um, oh, sorry, yes, Listening to Sylvia's uh, sort of a reminder of how Cyprus came to power, it, it is a reminder about the political risk that exists in Europe. And Greece, of course, has come a huge way since there. But it strikes me that your view toward Europe and Steve, you know, going into more detail about your Spanish view, Spain has, you know, made strides as well. But it seems like you are sort of, you don't think the political risk is a huge hindrance to Europe at the moment when Italy, yes, the risk has come down recently with the European Commission's decision, but it feels like that's just pushing the can down the road and you have to be cognizant of the risk of this 
bubbling up again. Well, I think that the two things that are driving bond markets in Europe, one is what is the ECB doing with liquidity, and two is politics. So I think politics is incredibly important. I think what's going on in Italy, you know, when we see um, Salvini and how well his party is doing in the polls, eventually I think he will call an election. And if he does that, it will be him and a more probably center-right uh, party will have to form a coalition. And I think that from that perspective, that's probably good for Italian bonds. And remember, Italian governments change on a regular basis. So just because you have a change in government doesn't mean it actually changes the fiscal dynamics of the country that much. But I do think politics is incredibly important. Populism is here to stay in Europe, and it will keep bubbling up. And you really have to keep an eye on that and make sure you position accordingly. I heard the same from an analyst last week as well, saying that despite what the bond market is showing right now, Italy, there's still more risk associated with Italy rather than with Greece because the polls, everything is expecting that we're going to have this pro-business uh, prime minister. Of course, the third bailout ended last year. So the risk right now when you look at the Eurozone does seem to be more towards Italy rather than Greece. David, quick word on the Fed. Um, is the Fed being swayed politically by the president? Uh, or are they still looking at the data? I think they still are looking at the data. I think what they're probably looking at is what's going on outside of the U.S. And outside of the U.S., you see most central banks are back in easing mode. You've seen it in Australia. We see it in Europe. Um, and so I think from that perspective, they're probably thinking, well, if global growth does go down a little bit, which I think global growth is still okay, um, they're thinking we need to probably uh, make an adjustment just to kind of immunize the U.S. economy to that. Because the domestic U.S. economy is doing very well. And so I don't think that they are being that much influenced. But we could also you know, say the same thing about um, the new appointment to the ECB with Lagarde. Is Lagarde, who actually doesn't have a monetary background and she is um, actually trained as a lawyer, who's now going to run the ECB, why are they doing that? And I think it's really, obviously she's going to run monetary policy, but it's the other things the ECB can do and the other changes they can bring to Europe that is where her main focus is going to be. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.